as we get into the Word of God, as we, as we continue our series uh, called the Summer Shorts. Uh, and, and the Summer Shorts is really all about uh, looking at uh, the, these books in the Bible that are really small and short that some people would probably gloss right over or some people would never heard of or some people will never read. And so you're welcome. We get a chance to read the Bible, the books that you will probably never read. Uh, and so today we are talking about this prophet and his name is Haggai. Uh, and you don't need to raise your hand, but I want to ask you, how many of you have read through the entire two chapters of Haggai, uh, and, and my guess is that many of us, we probably haven't, uh, because it's one of those obscure books. Uh, now, before we begin, I, I just want to say this. I remember when we first started, or when I first started at High Point Community Center, so we just moved here, for those of you that are new, uh, there was always one side that everyone sat on, and, and, and I didn't know what the reason was, or you know, maybe something to do with children. I don't know what it was, but there was always one side that everyone just gravitated to. Uh, and I'm wondering, in this new place, if we're doing the same thing on one side over the other. And so uh, I'm not telling you to move or anything. I'm just saying that's just an observation that I had, that our church tends to gravitate towards one side. Uh, and so that's it. That's all I want to say. Uh, uh, but I, I will say this, I've, I've been seeing a lot of new folks, new guests here, and we love that. And so my hope and desire is that Bethany, uh, West Seattle, we, we really become a community that really loves and embraces and, and welcomes uh, those that are new, our neighbors, our community, uh, believing that this is a place that you will receive a message of hope, that this will be a place that you will not be judged, that this will be a place that you will be loved. Because let's be honest with you, let's, let's be honest with ourselves, that all across the churches and the world of churches, people have been hurt, people have been burned. I, and so if, if you are new with us today or last week or, or even before that, I, I just wanna say thank you for being here. I wanna thank you for taking a risk. Uh, at showing up to a, a place called church, whether it was a friend that brought you, whether you just happen to be taking a walk. Uh, I just want to say thank you for being here and taking the chance. And my hope and desire is that wherever you are on your spiritual journey, whether you're not even started, whether you don't care, or whether you're further along, that at the end of the day, you will know that you're loved by God, by God's people, uh, and that all of us here, including myself, we're just, we're just on this journey on what it looks like uh, to live this life, this beautiful life that God has given us, we believe, uh, and I'm thankful that we get to do this to do this together. So, with that said, let me pray, and we'll get started. God, thank you so much. Whew, that you love us, and that you have uh, gifted us, and you have blessed us with so many things. And God, today we talk about what that looks like, how we steward that. We continue this conversation about what it looks like to be generous. And so God, as you have been generous to us and as you have, will continue to be generous with us, generous with us, God, help us to learn what it looks like uh, to pay that forward, to be obedient, to be faithful as we give our lives, our, our resources, and our time and our love. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. 
So again, we talk about this, uh, this prophet named, named Haggai, uh, and we've been talking about other prophets here and there, and, and, and the prophet's message has always been very unpopular, where God appoints this person, uh, back then, a prophet, that would go to God's people and say, all right, God's people, let me tell you what God's been telling me, uh, and God's been telling me to tell you that you've been messing up, and here's why. And then each prophet would give their own uh, particular reason. And Haggai has his own message. And Haggai's message has to do with this idea of scarcity. Scarcity meaning we live in a culture, they live in a culture of believing that there was never enough. Scarcity is this, this idea that there's always space for more, that we always need more, so much so that we get distracted by the things that are actually important. The things that God actually calls us to do and to participate in, uh, and not just in giving, but in, in joining people's lives together and loving and, and walking alongside people, that we get so stuck in this world of scarcity, I need more. I don't have enough. What I have isn't good enough. We get so distracted by the things that God actually wants us to care about. And that is the message of Haggai to Haggai's people, which we will uh, get into in just a moment. Uh, last week, I went to the, the Seattle Science Center. You guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I have not been to the, the Pacific Science Center in, in many, many years uh, and I went because I was going to watch this exhibit or go through this exhibit called the Terracotta Warriors. Uh, and it was really cool. But I remember going into uh, the Pacific Science Center and, and immediately I thought, wow, this does not look the same as when I was eight years old. Uh, and, and I was going through the, ex the other exhibits before the Terracotta started. And do you guys remember the dinosaur exhibit? Wow, really? You guys have been deprived as a child. Uh, so we would go, uh, my friends and I, we went into the, the dinosaur exhibit, and I remember when I was eight years old, the, these dinosaurs looked huge. And I remember being, there, there were a lot of them, and it almost felt like I was in Jurassic Park. Like it really felt like I was in there with the dinosaurs when I was little. Uh, and then I go there, and I'll be honest with you, like I was a little underwhelmed, like this this isn't exactly the way I remembered it. So, uh, but I loved it. Uh, I love my experience there. I think it does a really good job for the community. And then we went to the Terracotta Warriors. And if you don't know much about the Terracotta Warriors, it's about the, this, this Chinese emperor named Qin uh, back in 200 BC who, uh, who unified the, really the warring country as we know it as, as China. Uh, back in 200 BC, it, I think it was like seven or so different states, and this emperor comes in and unites them to make one uh, country, and that's what Qin, <coughs> Emperor Qin was, uh, was most notable for. Now, this exhibit, what this exhibit was about was this emperor Qin built, well, had others build uh, several different terracotta clay statues of warriors, uh, and they found in the seven, 1970s, this is really uh, pretty uh, awesome, just recently in the 70s, they found uh, 8,000 different clay sculptures of warriors. And what they found out was, uh, through research, is that uh, the Emperor Qin created these statues, clay warriors, to surround him, uh, thousands of them, in fact, to protect him. 
And not just to protect him in uh, the life that he was living, but even in the afterlife. It's a really fascinating story. Uh, but what really got my attention was, was not necessarily the, the incredulous uh, work of all these statues that were built, but it was the life of the Emperor Qin. Now, what made him so successful uh, was that he was very ruthless. I mean, he was known as kind of a tyrant emperor, which we've seen many times in history, uh, and, and he would uh, enslave people, especially to build those clay pots or the, the, the clay warriors. Uh, he would tax people. He would, he would burn all the books, and there's no education. I mean, he, he killed people that got in his way. I mean, this guy was completely ruthless. Uh, and what was so incredible about him was that he would do whatever it took to continue to gain power, to gain wealth, to gain notoriety, and most importantly, to gain immortality. Because he believed that if you lived a long, I mean, this is not rocket science, if you lived a long time, you had the time to gain more wealth. And so his idea was, I want to live forever so I can gain, continue to gain more power, to, to continue to gain more wealth, and to, get, to continue to gain really more nations around. And, and the avenue that he used in order to uh, become immortal was he developed an elixir. And he thought drinking this elixir would give him life, forever life. And, and this elixir that he was drinking, later people found out, it was mercury. It was, and now we know that mercury is not good for you. Uh, in fact, it's the very thing that killed the emperor Chin. And the, the irony of this whole thing was that for the emperor, the very thing that was supposed to give him life, the very thing that was supposed to give him immortality was the very thing that killed him. Oh, the irony and if we're being completely honest with ourselves, even today, even though things are very different in our own way, we do something very similar to that. We believe there's certain things, again, like wealth, like upward mobility, like status, like fame, whatever it is, we work so hard at it, so hard, because we believe it's going to bring us joy, it's going to bring us so much life, you know, life abundant. We believe it's going to increase our satisfaction. We believe it's going to up our identity, and, and we're going to live happily ever after. But again, like the emperor, the very thing that we're reaching for, the very thing that we're fighting for and working for so much is the very thing that's exhausting us. It's the very thing that's actually taking away our life more than building upon it. It's destroying our souls and we're becoming exhausted because really we're chasing the wrong things. And it's the very message of Haggai. We are, we are chasing after the wrong things and it's not giving us life. It's actually destroying our souls. And really to better understand Haggai, we have to look at kind of the context to understand what and why he's saying what he's saying. Is, and it's this. Uh, it's the year 587 B.C. where the Jews were taken away into slavery by the Babylonian Empire. And we kind of talked about this in the last couple of weeks. Uh, is that due to uh, the Israelites' disobedience, uh, they were held, they, there were enemies that came in and captured them and enslaved them. 
Uh, and in 587, the Jews, the kingdom of Judah especially, remember the Israel was, was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, now the Babylonians came and invaded much of the Near East and especially the kingdom of Judah and brought them back into captivity, into Babylon uh, to be slaves. And, and after 70 years of enslavement, uh, of death, of torture, really, of work, of labor, of, ta- of, of being removed from their land, being removed from their families. After 70 years of that, right around 520 B.C., Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, uh, they got taken over by the Persian Empire. And so this isn't just biblical history. This is world history, and hopefully you've, you know this and you've learned this. And in 520 B.C., the Babylon Empire finally fell by uh, Cyrus, the emperor of Persia. And the one thing that, the incredible thing that Cyrus did as emperor of Persia and as, as really the king of all the Near East was he let the Israelites go back to Israel. I mean, that was, that's incredible. He finally, after 70 years of captivity, Cyrus, the, the emperor of Persia, allowed the Israelites to go back to their homeland. And this was a big deal. Coming back from exile was a big deal because they were under Babylonian oppression, slavery, hardship, again, loss of land, and most importantly, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, we don't quite understand the significance of the temple right now because we don't really have that. I mean, we have the church uh, and where people gather and we worship God together, but the temple... Uh, back in the first century, was very, very important. It was a place where they believed that God actually resided. Now, we know that in the New Covenant, we believe that God resides within us and all around. Uh, But they believed in the first century, and even in the Old Testament, that, that God lived in the temple. And so when the temple was destroyed by Babylon, that was that was uh that was painful. That was life-changing. That was detrimental to who they were, their families, and their faith. And finally, Cyrus says, you can come back and you can rebuild that temple, the place where God lives, the place where you have this intimacy with God, the place that is so sacred and so holy. You get to rebuild that. And this was done, and God said, this is to be done with gratitude, acknowledging that if it wasn't for God's mercy, that they wouldn't be able to come back to Israel in the first place. Acknowledging that the temple, again, was a holy place. Acknowledging that this was vital to their life and their faith. You can come back, God is saying to the Israelites. But know that when you come back and you rebuild that temple for us to meet You should do it out of gratitude, knowing, knowing that it was because of me you were able to come back. It was through my mercy. It was through what I've given you, the freedom that you're able to worship again in this temple. And Haggai's, in the crux of Haggai's message, uh, really is to be found in chapter 1, verse 3, and I'll just read it to you. It says, uh, it says, then the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, is it a time for yourselves to live in your paneled houses? Paneled houses mean wealth uh, and the wealth that they've built. 
is it a time for you yourselves to live in, a, in your paneled houses while the house or the temple lies in ruins? I mean, that's a packed verse. And, and it's telling us exactly what the people of God were, were doing. God calls them back out of captivity, out of slavery, out of his own mercy and says, you can come back, live this land in this holy place with your family, being reunited again, uh, and you can rebuild the temple where I, your God, will meet with you. And yet we see all over Haggai, the problem is they came back, they accepted the gift of freedom, but instead of doing what God called them to do, which is rebuild the temple, they were focusing on their own house. And I wouldn't just say physical house, but their own well-being, their own lives, their own stability, their own jobs, their own crops, and whatever. They completely ignored what God asked them to do. God said, come back, rebuild my temple so we can meet again, so we can be in that sacred place again. And yet, as soon as they get back, isn't that, I mean, isn't that the story of our lives? That's kind of a subtext, that when we are in trouble, when we are in need, when we're desperate, we're so quick to say, God, I need you. God, where are you? God, please help me. And we become so close to God during that time. And yet the very second, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, the very moment that our relationship with God is, is good and, and our relationship with others is good and we have everything that we need. We have the food on our tables. We have, uh, you know, big house, nice car, whatever. We have all the things that we need. And that very moment we say, oh, God, oh, yeah, you're good. I'll, I'll get to you. I'll get to you in a second. Hold on. Well, let me just, let me just do this. And, and our focus changes so quickly. And that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. And that's what Haggai is talking about here. God wants us to, to build and invest in this temple, in God's kingdom. And yet, the very moment that things got comfortable, they completely neglected that. And they were preoccupied with their own house that they had to build. And, and really, I don't blame them, right? They were in captivity for 70 years as slaves. And finally, when they come back, they get to their own house uh, and after 70 years, I mean, I can imagine that things got a little dusty in their home, right? Uh, their, their lawn grew several inches in 70 years, and, and things got a little out of order, and things got chaotic. So, of course, after 70 years, they're going to come, and they're going to physically, manually work on their own property, on their own things, because it didn't get enough attention, and because they didn't want to lose out, because they didn't want to have this removed again from their lives. I mean, they were operating from a place of scarcity. See, growing up, when I was younger and my sister was much younger than me, we're, you know, she was kind of a, to she was a toddler and I was an elementary kid. Uh, my grandmother uh, from Korea moved over to help take care of us, which is kind of a classic Asian-Korean thing to do. Uh, and I remember one thing is that when, when I would eat, my sister and I both, when we would eat, uh, we would not be allowed to have any food left over. Like, you, I would be in trouble if there was food left over. And I remember eating, I remember being hungry and being kind of afraid, like, oh my gosh, what if I can't finish the meal? So I remember sitting at the table, uh, and, and I kid you not, sometimes it would take hours to eat because 
my grandmother literally would not let me get up off my seat until the food was finished. Uh, or, or, or sometimes, on a nice day, my grandmother would let me go out and play because I was so full, but the food would be sitting there waiting for me where hours later, after I'm tired, after I get done playing, I would come back and I would finish the meal. I mean, what is the big deal? It's just a little bit here, a little bit there. And then I talked to my mom. I was like, what's grandma's problem? She, she has to make sure I finish every pebble of food, soup, right? whatever it is. And then she finally told me a story that, well, when grandma was a little girl, she was living in Korea, and uh, Korea was colonized by Japan, uh, and they were very, the whole country was, was very poor. I mean, food was a luxury. Uh, it wasn't just something that we automatically, ha- they automatically had like we have today. Uh, you know, they were lucky if they would have one, one meal a day. That's the kind of environment, that's the culture and the world that your grandmother grew up in. And so, and so growing up, anytime there was food, uh, it was a blessing. And, and that was something she lived through growing up, and that's the thing that she wanted to implement to us, is that you do not want to waste this because you don't know if you're going to get it tomorrow. And, and, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. As a matter of fact, not being wasteful is actually being a good steward uh, of what God has given us and something exactly the way we should live. But sometimes it's taken so far that it paralyzes us from actually caring about the things that God wants us to care about. And it leads us to live in a place of scarcity. The problem with scarcity is that scarcity leads to misplaced priorities. And what we see is that courage is the answer. And we'll get to that in just a moment. So we live in a, in a, in a world of, of scarcity. Haggai chapter 1, verse 5, 6. We'll kind of go through a couple chapters. It's only two chapters. It says this. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. So think about what you're doing. Think about how you're living. Think about the things that you have. Think about your attitude. In verse 6 it says, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but, you're never, but it's never enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are never warm. You earn wages, but put them in a purse with holes in it. See, what's happening here is that God is saying, look around. You have a lot. You have, a, you have something to drink. You have something to eat. You have food on your, you know, on your body. You, you have a house. You have all these things, and yet what you're saying is it's not enough. Just like us today, these people in the Old Testament, the time of Haggai, Living in a world of scarcity, it's not enough kind of attitude. I need more. What I have is not good enough. And I love, uh, if you guys are familiar with Michael Hyatt, he's this author, business writer, uh, has a famous blog as well. Uh, And he says this. He says, we live a life. We live a life of perceived scarcity. We live a life of perceived scarcity in a world of outrageous Abundance. I'll say that again. This is so, it's so important. We live, uh, many of us, we live a life of perceived scarcity in a world of outrageous abundance. 
I mean, immediately, this goes for a lot of things in life, not just our money, not just our resources, uh, but our time and, and who we are. We wake up immediately thinking, oh, man, did, we, did I get enough sleep? I mean, is that you? I mean, I know that was me. I wake up like, man, I did not get enough sleep. You go through the day like, oh, man, there is not enough time uh, in each day. We fall asleep before going to bed. Oh, we think about, oh, man, I wish I would have done more. And, and to make matters worse, as we interact with people in our lives throughout the day, we are painfully, and I have conversations with people all the time, painfully aware of the things that we're missing. We're missing looks. We're missing intellect. We're missing talent. We're missing luck. We're missing money. We're missing peace, creative. You name it, as we go around in, in, interacting with people and engaging with people and seeing what they have, what they have on, what they've accomplished, it only reminds us of the things that we don't because we fall into the trap of comparison. Comparison doesn't just rob you, rob me of joy. I mean, I know we hear that all the time. Comparison robs us of joy. It's absolutely true, but it also robs us of gratitude. Comparison robs us of gratitude. And the scary part of that the scary part of that is that gratitude is the birthplace for generosity. Gratitude is the birthplace for generosity. And that is God's utmost desire for our lives, that we become generous people. And God models that generosity in the ultimate way through the life, through the death, through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And as that, as a model, we are also to be generous. And God's message to the Haggai and his people is like, you have to be generous with the things that you have. I, you were in slavery and you came back. Now be generous with the things that you have by rebuilding this community, by rebuilding my house, God's the, the temple. So what you have to realize is that not everybody was banished to Babylon. See, the Babylonians only took particular people, the wealthy, the skilled, uh, the people that can help create their culture to be a better place, the intelligent people, the ones that had status, those are the people that were actually pushed off to Babylon. Uh, the Babylonians thought if you had nothing to offer, if you're, whatever it is, if you're poor, if you have no status, you stay in Judah. Hey, no problem to us. You guys are just going to die off is what they thought. So the only the people that offered something that was... Uh, taken to Babylon. And what God is saying, I know each and every one of you have something to offer. That's the very reason you were taken away in the first place. And so you, whatever it is, money, talent, time, resources, your heart, your compassion, whatever it is, you have something to offer in this community of God to advance God's kingdom. But, but you're so busy. Hey guys, you're, you're so busy tending to your own place, your own house, building your own fame, your own fortune, that you're completely neglecting the life that God's called you to, which is generosity, which is to be sacrificial, which is to be giving. And God will ask them to do that by building the temple together. Build the temple together. This scarcity distorts our priorities as well. Not only does, this, not only does scarcity 
Not only does does scarcity lead to the lack of gratitude, but it also leads to a misplaced priority. In Haggai chapter 1, 9, it says this, you expected much, but you see, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my, because of my house, which remains a ruin. My temple is, is still in ruin. The Babylonians ruined it 70 years ago. You come back, I, have you, I give you a job to do, and yet it's not being done. My temple, my house, it still remains in a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. See, here's the deal. The reality is, and the reality was back then, was that none of the Jews refused to participate in rebuilding the temple. Like, no one thought that was a terrible idea. In fact, they all knew that that was a good idea. They all wanted that to happen. The problem is they had this attitude, as, uh, this attitude of uh, as soon as blank. Well, God, I will rebuild that temple as soon as I get to my house. Uh, I will connect with my, my people, my fellow Israelites, and, and bring back this temple where you are to be met, where you are going to do grand things in this earth through this temple. Yes, that's a fantastic idea. But hold on, let me, let me finish this. As soon as is the attitude that was destructive in their lives. Because again, scarcity distorts our priorities. We always want to tend and build and work and care for really our own stuff, really the wrong things. And what God is saying uh, through really through this verse, verse nine, it says, "Look, look around. Will you take a look at yourself? While the temple is in ruin, you're busy, preoccupied, working on your own life, your own place, your own house, really." And it came down to a trust issue. Maybe there's a trust issue. They didn't really trust that building the temple should be the first priority. And God's saying, that is. And we've got it all wrong. And the question for us is, what, what is your, what is, what, is, what is my as soon as? We all have them. As soon as I make enough money, right? Money especially. As soon as I have enough money, then I'll give. Then I'll tithe, then I'll give to the poor, then I'll invest in the things that, I, that God wants me to invest in. As soon as, my, uh, as soon as I make money, I'll do it. As soon as I have enough time, then I'll give, I'll, I'll volunteer, uh, and I'll sacrifice my afternoons, my evenings. You know, right now, work is crazy, God, you know that. My friends know that. Work is nuts. But I tell you what. As soon as work dies down a little bit, maybe it's a summertime, maybe when I get promoted, whatever it is, then I'll start volunteering and start helping out and, and doing whatever it takes. Or, or, or maybe when I have a bigger house and when I have a place of my own, then I'll be hospitable and invite people over. Or as soon as I have all the resources, then I'll do something about the poor, the marginalized, the hurt, those that are outcasted around me. When I, when I have enough, then, then I'll do it. And the message of Haggai is so simple, yet difficult, really. The message of Haggai is saying, no, right now is the time. You have enough. Right now. 
Not as soon as. Not when this happens. Not when that happens. Right now, whoever you are sitting in that pew right here, me standing, whatever I have is enough to give towards the kingdom of God. And what does that mean, give towards the kingdom of God? Yes, yes, it means tithing and giving to, to God, but also means what, it, what else does that look like? To give to the poor, to give to the needy, to, to open up your house to your community, to your neighbor, to your friends, to be generous with your resources. Whatever, we have what it takes to be loving and to be kind and to be embracing of our neighbors with our resources. You have what it takes. I mean, even if we want to even talk about our church, our church, yeah, I'm not just talking about tithing. I'm talking about even volunteering. I mean, uh, in, one, in one month, we, have, we probably need about 50 or so volunteers. And we have them. It's wonderful. And we always need more. Oh, when I have more time, then I'll, then I'll volunteer. And what God is saying, you want to volunteer? Now's the time. We have so many children that need to be loved, to be embraced, and to be pointed to God. And, and even we have a welcome team, and I'm not just trying to have these like shameless plugs, but what I'm saying is there's opportunities that you can serve God even in this church today. Not when you have more time, not when you have more. Today is what Haggai is saying. But the third point is this. Courage changes everything. Haggai chapter 2, verse 4 through 5, it says this. It says, uh, yet now, I love that part, yet now, be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of uh, Josedach. These are leaders, high priests. Zerubbabel is a governor. Uh, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I've covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. See, scarcity is operating from a place of fear. Oh, if I don't do this now, then uh, success won't happen. If, if I don't do this now, then I won't have all these things that I need and want. So I'm going to do this now first. And as soon as I'm done, then I'll get to your stuff, God. And what God is saying to God's people, to God's leaders, is saying, you need courage. You need courage to trust that even if you don't take care of your own house and you do what I ask you to do, you have to trust that I will provide for you. Not only trust that I've provided for you, you have to know and be reminded that I have already provided for you. And I say this time and time after again. If the Lord does not bless me or give me anything from today on to the day I die, I still have something to be thankful for. I'll always have something to be faithful, thankful for, even if God to this day does no longer gives, gives me anything. And that's for all of us. We need to be reminded to be thankful, to be giving, and to, to be responsible a.k.a. be good stewards of the things that God has given us. And that's through the avenue and the vehicle of generosity. And we do so much work here as a church, and I'm so proud of us for doing that. This fall, we'll be investing a lot in Highland Park Elementary, just across the street. A really uh, majority of, of that school has come from a low-income and very difficult background. 
we work with refugees, we work with world relief, we work with several different missionaries. I mean, even in this church, we provide a safe place for people to come and to be loved and to know more about Jesus. There's a place for you. And I know some of us are busy and we lack resources or, or whatever it is. But just like the message of Haggai, we have enough. We need to get out of this comparison trap. We need to get out of this as soon as I fill in the dot trap. And we need to take courage to be grateful and to pay it forward, really. Because God is asking us to build his kingdom here on earth. And this kingdom is far bigger than our own house and our own space. Generosity is the way of Jesus. As I invite the band back up as we respond, I just want to read you this verse in Matthew chapter 5, 25, verse 14 to 18, the rich young, or not the rich young ruler, but the parable of the talents. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, I mean, we all know the story, two bags, and to another one bag, according uh, to this person's ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went on, and one, went on at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid it from his master. Hid it. And then later on, verse 25, he says, I was afraid. He says, I was afraid and went out and hid your gold. See, each and every one of us, we've been given gold, whether that's through the form of money, wealth, talents, skills, compassion, hospitality. These are all gifts of gold. And each and every one of us, we are empowered with gifts because you're loved and you're divinely created by the ultimate creator God who is generous with the way he gifts people. And and know this, some of us, we don't hear this enough. We're not affirmed in this enough. You are loved. You are uniquely, beautifully, and diligently created by God. And we don't hear that enough. And I just want to tell you that God believes that about you. And because God believes that about you and me, that gives us a reason to be generous. And I don't know what that means for you. And and as you walked in, you received a bulletin, and inside that bulletin, you received a connect card. If you're new with us, I would love for you to fill that out. We'd love to be in touch with you. You can ask about different ministries that are on there. But on the back, it says there's a comment or there's prayer request. And and I just want to encourage you. uh, Maybe you want to make a decision today. Maybe it's anonymous. It doesn't matter. There's nothing special about writing something down on this piece of paper. But it's this, this physical commitment saying, God, this is the way I'm going to invest in your kingdom. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go of as soon as I attitude. I'm going to let go of comparison. And I'm going to grasp onto the acknowledgement of the things that you have provided for me. 
even the simplest things. And maybe the prayer for us is, God, open our eyes. The things that we take for granted. I mean, how did you get here? Probably in a car. Did you eat breakfast? Maybe, maybe not, but you could have if you wanted to, if you woke up in time. We're over, we can talk about Jesus freely without the fear of persecution. That's a gift. Sometimes we have to open our eyes and be aware of the things that God has given us. And I really believe when we enter into the place of gratitude, we will have no choice but to want to be generous. We can live in two places, scarcity, which is driven by fear. And if we're driven by fear, there's no way we're going to be generous because, hey, fight for yourself. I, I built, I worked hard. I built this. This is mine. And, and if I let it go, then I'm going to suffer. I'm not going to have enough. That's a place of scarcity. We can live there or we can choose to live in gratitude. And what gratitude says is, first of all, especially as believers, this stuff that I have, it doesn't belong to me anyways. I'm a steward of the things that belong to God. And I should be generous with it. That doesn't mean we, we, we become uh, lazy and lackadaisical about our own stuff. Yes, no. God has gifted you with things that you should use, that you should have, you should enjoy. Be a good steward of that and enjoy it well. And we have a responsibility to care and to love and to give to others. You are gifted. You are loved. And you have something to offer. Know that. Believe that. I'm going to pray. We're going to enter into a time of worship as a response. And really, you can write down what that commitment is. Uh, and on your way out, there's a silver bucket right at the door. You can put those connect cards in there. Uh, and we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray with you. Uh, and we're going to just be so joyful that we've made these commitments to God to build God's kingdom here on earth, not only for our sake, but for the sake of others. Let's pray. God, thank you so much Whew, that you've given us so much. And sometimes we fail to acknowledge that and forgive us. We, we repent of that. We come back to you and we say thank you. And we ask you how we can use this to bless others whether it's our time, our money, our resources, our love, our compassion, our hospitality, our gift of intercession, of prayer. God, tell us who to pray for, who to give to. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.